0: So, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Genesis together, and uh, for the past month, we've really been focused in on the characters Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. God had come, and He had made this astounding promise to Abraham and Sarah in their old age when Sarah was barren, and He promised to give them a son, Um, and from this son, He promised would come a nation. And from this nation would come another son who would be a blessing to all the nations. Um, and so Isaac was born, and we talked about that last week in Genesis chapter 21. Um, when he was born, he was named Isaac, and his n- very name meant he laughs, right? Because it was this restoration of joy and wonder in Abraham and Sarah's life that God had indeed been faithful and true to His promise to provide them a son. But in Genesis chapter 22, things are about to get pretty serious for Abraham and Isaac because this is the story where Abraham was commanded to take his son Isaac, this promised son that had been given to him, and to offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. And for some of you, this may be a very familiar story. You know this story. You know how it ends. Um, But I want to encourage you this morning that even if you do know this story and you know how it ends that you would try not to cheat the story, um, almost act like you don't know the ending, um, so that you can feel something of the tension and, and the drama and the fear and the confusion that must have been present here in this story for Abraham. Um, because it is a very intriguing, it's very puzzling, it, it, it's very frightening… <clears throat> And even riveting stories. So let me read this story for us. It's Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And if you want to follow along on one of the Bibles in your pews, that's on page 16. So let's give our attention uh, to God's holy and inerrant word here. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said... On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's go before God now and ask for His help in understanding and applying. Um, before we talk, gracious Heavenly Father, um, we read stories like this in Your Word, and confess that you are often a God full of mystery and wonder, Um, but we also see in this story that you are a God who is good. And uh, we pray this morning that you would help us to understand this story, that you would help us to apply it to our lives, that you would show us and remind us even in all the mysterious ways with which you deal with your people, that you indeed can be trusted, uh, for you are indeed good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The Princess Bride. um, It's a great classic movie. Uh, It's got everything in it. It's got fighting and it's a fantastical story and it's dramatic and it's heroic and it's redemptive and it's romantic. It's, it's all in there, right? The Princess Bride. And if you've seen the movie, you know that it, it, it starts like this. It starts with a little boy played by a very young Fred Savage and he's in his room and he's homesick one day from school. And his grandfather, played by Peter Falk, comes over to visit his grandson and to read him a story while he's sick in bed. And that story, of course, is The Princess Bride. And so once the grandfather starts reading the story, uh, the story with all of its scenery and all of its characters comes to life, and and that's the movie, right? Um, And if you've seen the movie, though, you know that occasionally the story itself of The Princess Bride will stop. And it'll come back to this boy in his room with his grandfather uh, reading this story. And every time the story stops, it's because this little boy has interrupted his grandfather and told him to stop the story. Um, And he's interrupting the story every time because there's some tension in the story that seems to that little boy just absolutely impossible to resolve, right? A character that dies or a, an unexpected twist in the plot, and this little boy will say something like, like this every time. He'll say, wait, wait, stop the story. Grandpa, you messed up, right? So-and-so can't die, this or that can't happen. And the grandfather would patiently listen to his grandson, and then he would encourage him to keep listening to just see where the story goes, to let it unfold. And when it comes to the story of Genesis chapter 22, like I said before we even read the passage, it's really hard not to cheat the story because we already know what happens in the end, that Isaac is spared. But you need to try and let this story unfold naturally. And I'm going to try to do that somewhat throughout the sermon this morning because you need to imagine the confusion that must have been there. You need to imagine this, just this unexpected twist being thrown at Abraham um, in, and into his life. That he would take his only son and offer him as a sacrifice. You need to imagine this, see, the seemingly irresolvable tension in the story that if you don't cheat it, it really does make you want to say, whoa, 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 stop the story. Somebody messed up. This can't be happening to Isaac. Not to Abraham's son. He's the promised son. And so it's important for us to try to let this story unfold naturally because, because that's the way your life is. <laughs> right? you, you experience unexpected twists in life. You don't know where things are going. And there seems to be irresolvable tension and contradiction in your life. And our lives unfold like stories, we're often caught wondering in the midst of it, how can I trust, how can I follow a God that doesn't make any sense to me right now? Um, How can I trust Him with all this mysterious, unexpected, and confusing twist that He brings into my life? Um, How do you trust Him in suffering? How do you trust Him in hardship, in what seems to be irresolvable tension in your life? So, that's what we're going to talk about in three points this morning. And those three points are faith's questions, faith's path, and finally, faith's provision. Faith's questions, its path, and then finally, its provision. So, first, faith's question. And there are two questions that I want to address in this story. One is a question that arises out of experience, and the other question is a deeper question. That has to do with the character of God, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, the question that arises from experience or in our experience. God told Abraham in verse 2 to take his son Isaac and to offer him as a burnt offering. But you need to notice the repetitive language that's in verse 2. Take not just your son, God says. Take your only son, Isaac. Not just take Isaac. But the one whom you love. Isaac, and you you can imagine this. We've, We've been looking at Abraham for three weeks and talking about God's promises that took 25 years to be answered in his life. Isaac was Abraham's treasure. Isaac was the son of promise. And every time he spoke his name, he laughs. He was reminded of God, answering his promise and restoring his joy. This is the son in whom Abraham's hope rested. This is the son he cherished. This is the son he delighted in. And now Isaac is about to be taken away from him. God had given Abraham and Sarah this incredible gift, this gift that made them so happy, and now God himself was threatening that gift. Why? What's going on? Can you imagine the hurt and the disappointment and the confusion? How could this be? I mean, you really you are meant to read this and say, stop the story. This can't be right. It's not going in the right direction. Not Abraham's most treasured possession. You know, the question that arises in our experience is a question of deep confusion and pain and hurt. See, if you're young and you haven't felt it yet, I would say just give it some time. Um, It'll happen. You'll feel it in your life at some point. Why would God put the things I treasure, why would God take the things I cherish in life and put them in jeopardy? And we say, you want me to trust you, To let go of this relationship, to let go of defending my reputation at the office, to let go of the things I've come to trust as a measure of security in this broken world. And if I do those things, if I trust you, I'm going to lose the relationship. I'm going to lose the job. I'm going to lose the security I thought I had. I thought you meant me good in this life. But these unexpected twists, this confusing tension, it feels like you are trying to ruin me and ruin my life. Why, How could this be right? How could this be good for me? Now listen, the question in our experience, it leads us to the deeper question, um, a deeper question about God's character here, and this is the ultimate question of this story. Here it is: How in the world can God's promise to Abraham and his son Isaac fit? with his command to Abraham here. How does his promise and command fit? God's command to Abraham seems to be in total contradiction to his promise to Abraham. It looks like a tension that's impossible to resolve. The theologian Emil Bruner calls this the central mystery of the Christian faith. How do command and promise, we use some other words here, How does God's justice and mercy fit together? How does His holiness and His love fit together? How does law and grace fit together? Abraham definitely felt this tension, and he was wrestling with this question. After God's command… Abraham loaded up and took Isaac with him on this journey to this unknown mountain um, that God was going to tell him about to offer his son. By the way, this is a 45-mile trip, right? It takes them several days to get there. Even the text says so. Um, It's plenty of time to mull these things over and to think about them and to contemplate the consequences of what's about to happen and to try to figure things out. And when they got to the point where, where it was going to be just Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain and, and alone in verse 7, Isaac looked to his father and he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And what did Abraham say? He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now, I do not want to downplay the faith that's involved in that answer. But you know, if you're a parent, what he's also saying. <laughs> he's also just saying, I don't know. I don't, have a burnt, I don't have a lamb with me. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know, Isaac. I don't know how this fits. I don't know how God can be the God of command and promise at the same time. He, God is a mystery to him at this moment. You know, you know how little kids, uh, they learn how to stack blocks when they're young, and they stack one on top of the, the other, and you, when they're really little, it falls over after just a few blocks until they figure out at some point that the stronger the foundation, the stronger the base, the more blocks you're able to stack up on top of it, right? Um, it's because the blocks um, on the top are dependent on the blocks on the foundation, um, so… I know, it's amazing, penetrating insight to you. Um, You're glad you came for that this morning, I'm sure. But, you know, the blocks on the top are dependent on the blocks on the bottom. And this is why I tell you that these two questions, one is a very natural question that arises from experience. Out out of this, this hurts, this is confusing, this uh, doesn't feel right. And the other seems to be a much more abstract and philosophical question. How can the God of command fit with the God of promise? Um, How does law and grace fit together? And we're going to continue to let the tension of this story unfold naturally before we answer those questions, but I need to at least offer you this at this point. Those two questions are not meant to be side by side. They're meant to be one on top of the other. Um, And it's the deeper question about God's character that forms the foundation for the questions that arise in our experience. I'll put it to you this way. Only when you answer the deeper questions of how God's command and promise fit together, only then can you and I face hard questions of experience without completely losing our footing and toppling and falling. It's when you answer that deeper question that you can begin in your life to trace joy through your suffering and through your pain and through the hurt and confusion that God has brought into your life. You answer the foundational question and you can start tracing hope through your trials and security and have security in the midst of trouble in your life. All right, so let's leave it there and we'll keep going. Second, I want us to talk about faith's path. Abraham shows us the path that faith takes here in the midst of all these bewildering questions and painful tension. And faith's path is very simply to follow God's call, even as we read it in Hebrews earlier, not knowing where it will lead, to follow him no matter what. In verse 2, God said, take Isaac and offer him as his burnt offering. And the question is where? And God basically says, I'll tell you later. Um, To one of the mountains, I will show you. We've been studying Abraham now for for three weeks, and what should be obvious to you, if you've been here for those weeks, is that this is always the path faith takes. Always. Abraham, this is chapter 12, leave your family and go to a land I will give you. Where? Uh, I'll tell you later just get going. Abraham, I will give you a son in your old age. But how? I'll tell you later. God is constantly saying to Abraham throughout his life, leave your comfort, leave your security, leave what you know, give up what you most love, what you most cherish in this life, give up your treasures and follow me not knowing where it will lead. What's God asking Abraham to do in this seemingly irresolvable contradiction in his life? What is God asking you to do when illness threatens your life or the lives of those you love? When injustice finds your life or the life of those you love? When obeying him in your career will most certainly mean losing your job? What is God asking you to do when speaking the truth in love to your friend will most definitely mean the loss of a friendship? when the consequence of following him looks like your whole life will crumble and fall apart, he is asking you to trust him. He is asking you to follow him, not knowing where it will lead, to believe him with everything in your life. He's asking you to give up what you most love and cherish and follow him, not knowing where it will lead or how it will turn out. And do you know why? It's because of this. He wants you to see in your life that He is the ultimate treasure, and He will not be a means to get your other treasures. He has to be the ultimate treasure. So, there's a show on PBS. It's strangely addictive to me. I, I don't know why. It's, it, it's not even done very well, but it, it's the Antique Roadshow. And uh, it's like the nerdy forerunner of American Pickers or some of these other uh, TV shows. But These people are bringing these family heirlooms and uh, antiques and these treasures... They've been maybe hidden in their attic for years and passed down from generation after generation. And they bring these treasures in uh, to show the appraisers on the show. And and then the appraisers look to them and they, they tell them their monetary values. So, for example, someone might bring in this painting that's been in the family for all of these generations. And the appraiser will start discussing the age of the painting and who the painter was and give them all this backstory and all that kind of stuff. And then the, the appraiser might say… I think a, a fair price for this would be somewhere between thirty-five dollars and $45,000 a night. Whoa! It was just sitting in an attic under a sheet, you know, and they're amazed. And I, I think the coolest part, though, is when it becomes very obvious that the people who have brought this treasure in, they want to know its monetary value, but they never intend to ever really sell it. They just want to be reaffirmed in its value, right? Because ultimately, they're not interested in using it to get something else. It is the treasure itself. God wants Abraham, and he wants you to see, and he wants you to know and feel deep in your bones that he is the only treasure you really need in life. See, there are these things in our lives that all of us, start to see as non-negotiables. For my life to have joy, for my life to have meaning, for it to be fulfilling, I have to have these things. I have to have this house. I have to have this job. I have to have this family, right, or whatever it is. See, most of the, most of the time, these things tend to be very good things that we turn around and we turn into, the, into them non-negotiable treasures, For Abraham, it was his only son. For you, it might be a secure position in your career, or your reputation with your friends, or a stable family life, or having a spouse, or a sufficiently padded bank account. I don't know what it is, but what is God doing with Abraham when He asks him to take the non-negotiable of his life, his son, his only son whom he loves, Isaac, God is saying, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to find out that I'm the only treasure you need in this life. I want you to follow not knowing where it will lead or how it will turn out. This is faith's path to find the one true treasure, the one foundation that can never crumble or pass away. I mean, reputations and bank accounts and relationships, they're constantly fluctuating in your life. Even though you've come to see them as non-negotiables, they're so so very fragile. They are not strong enough to hold up. They can't possibly last forever. Earlier in our service, we read from Hebrews chapter 11. Justin read that for us about Abraham and Isaac. And it gives us an answer to how Abraham was able to take faith's path here. This is what it said. For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. God wants you to see that He is the ultimate treasure, the only foundation. He can give you the only foundation that will never crumble, that will never pass away, that you'll have forever and ever. Only He can build a home for you whose foundations can never be shaken. Listen, we will never... You will never be great like Abraham. You will never have courage like Abraham or live the kind of life he lived unless you find the freedom to let go of all your conditions and follow him not knowing where it will lead. He won't be a means to getting your smaller temporary treasures in life. He is the ultimate treasure himself. Okay, finally, let's look at faith's provision. When you get to verse 9… If this was a scene in The Princess Bride or some other movie, everything at this point would all of a sudden be in slow motion… Um, the writer slows everything down for the reader. Um, you can almost imagine the camera giving you the different angles as the scene progresses in slow motion. So you get a close-up on Abraham's conflicted face. And then, then pan to Isaac's bewildered expression, right? And then back to Isaac being bound and placed on top of the altar. Um, and then Abraham reaching for his knife. In the Hebrew, it's so literally very slow. In, in the Hebrew, it says, Abram sent his hand and took his knife to ruin his son is what it literally says. Everything slowed down for dramatic effect. And then this voice that saves the day, right? Abraham, Abraham… And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then in verse 13, Abraham looked up and he saw this ram caught in the thicket. And we're told there in that verse that here was this burnt offering that was provided instead of Isaac, in the place of Isaac. Now, listen, and I need you to listen closely just for the next couple of minutes here. This was a test in Abraham's life. This story shows us faith in action. And our instinct, then, is to look at this passage and say, I need to try harder. I need to try more to have faith like Abraham." I mean, he's an example of faith to us, and that's true. Abraham is an example of faith, and it's true that in the very first verse of our passage that we read, God was testing Abraham. but this is what I need you to hear. That is not the main point of this story. That is not the main point of this story. because listen, if it was the main point of the story, Abraham would have named the mountain Abraham's faith. Abraham's courage, Abraham's obedience, or something like that. But he didn't. He named the mountain, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And that's the main point of this story, that the Lord will provide. But listen, it's not just a general, oh, the Lord will provide. (laughs) It's couched in a story. The Lord provided a substitute for Isaac. The Lord provided a burnt offering in the place of, instead of Isaac. God was saying to Abraham, 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 it's in me that all the apparent contradictions meet and are resolved. Because look, that's the bi- this is the bigger, deeper question. How can God be both the God of command and promise, the God of law and grace, of justice and mercy, of holiness and love? This story was pointing forward to another story. And another promised son. This story w- was looking forward to another story. A year, uh, years later, a son who would carry wood up a mountain for a sacrifice. And it was God's only son whom he loved, with whom he was well pleased. And he would be carrying a cross this time. He came to be a substitute Instead of, in place of, you and me. And at the cross, God's perfect justice against sin and His perfect love for you met and embraced. And all the contradictions were solved. Law and promise collided at the cross. Holiness and grace embraced at the cross for you and if you can see that, and if you can believe that, that gives you power in this life. It gives you an unshakable, powerful foundation to live not by sight but by faith. Okay. We love Star Wars in our house. Um, got four kids. We love those movies. And not too long ago, we were watching the original Star Wars movies, the good ones from the 70s and the 80s. Um, And there's this great scene in the original, the first Star Wars, um, that I'd kind of forgotten about, um, where Luke and Princess Leia and Han Solo, uh, they were trying to escape the Death Star. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, he stayed back because he had to disengage the tractor beam so that their ship could get out and, you know, all that. Hopefully, you remember some of this. But Obi-Wan ends up, as he's doing all that, he ends up getting in this fight with Darth Vader, with the lightsaber fight and all that kind of stuff. And that's all while Luke and Leia and Han Solo are escaping. And I had forgotten these words that Obi-Wan spoke to Darth Vader. And this, but this is what he said in the movie. He said, You cannot win, Darth. <laughs> if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And with that, remember that he turns off his lightsaber and he lets Darth Vader strike him down. And you know what was happening? He was sacrificing his life for his friends, Luke, Princess Leia, and Han Solo, so they could escape. Instead of, he was killed instead of his friends. You know, the kingdom of God is just so very upside down. God says, let go of your treasures, and then you will find me, the ultimate treasure that can never pass away. He he sent his son, his only son, whom he loved, to lay down his life for you and die for you, and it looked like a total loss on Calvary. But in doing so, he released a power greater than any could imagine, You know, on that day in Genesis chapter 22 with his son Isaac, Abraham heard a very faint whisper of Jesus' name, of a God who would not withhold his only son and would not spare him when under the knife, but would freely give him as a substitute in our place that we might have life in him forever. And listen, when you believe that, you really do find a new power, a power that enables you to walk faith's path, a power that enables you to let go of your lesser treasures, a power that allows you to endure suffering and trial and hardship and pain with real joy because the deeper question of how God can be both the God of command and promise has been answered for you at the cross, a power that enables you to recognize that when God comes to pry your non-negotiable treasures from your hands, you know now that it is never for your harm, but only to make you greater and give you a foundation that will never, ever pass away. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and like we do so very many weeks, most weeks, We remember to pause and thank you for the way in which your word, no matter where we find it, whether it be in Genesis or Revelation, is always pointing us to Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you that you did not withhold your only Son from us in order that we might have life in him. Father, we pray that you would enable us by your Spirit, even as you apply the good news of the gospel to us, that you will enable us to answer faith's questions or to see the answers you give to face questions, to take the, the path that faith takes, and following you, not knowing where it will lead. And Father, that we would find rest in your provision for us in Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.